bias for action. Make your move when you can. We're battling Goliaths in financial services. One of our weapons is we can be asymmetrically fast, having a lot of, of quote unquote at-bats to learn about what your customers are gonna like, mm -hmm. gives you the ability to kind of outflank, you know, brands. Yeah, that's a great point. And especially that can be your competitive advantage. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lead the Team Nation, and welcome back to another great episode today I have for you, Bob Armour, who is the Chief Marketing Officer at M1, the finance super app where he manages all aspects of marketing and an awesome team of 28. M1 helps people manage and grow their wealth with investing, saving, borrowing, and spending all in one place. Over half a million people trust M1 with more than $7.2 billion in assets. Now, he's received his undergraduate degree at Notre Dame, and I went to Alabama, so we have a natural rivalry, which might come out in this call. And he also has his MBA from Northwestern, and you might detect his Boston accent, which blends well with my Alabama accent, which is from the, his is from the Boston suburbs. Bob, welcome to Lead the Team, sir. Thanks for having me, Ben. I'll tell you, there's not much of a rivalry between Notre Dame and Alabama. As I remember, Alabama, it's a pretty one-sided thing, but I'll, I will, you know, I'll, I'll say thank you for saying that it's a rivalry, but I don't think it's very uh, two-sided. In, in recent memory, recent history, I would agree with that, but back in the day, I mean, I was born, you know, back in the you know, there's the late 70s back in Alabama, and it was all like Notre Dame's our arch nemesis and all this stuff. Times have changed over the yeah, last four decades, Ben. But, yeah. but Notre Dame's actually Notre Dame just sent their offensive coordinator to Alabama to run. That's right. Tommy, Tommy Reese, he's going to be pretty good for you people all. So were jealous. Bit, people were shocked by that. People were like, is it okay to have a former Notre Dame quarterback running our offense as offensive coordinator? <laughs> But people seem okay. No, no. Let's let's start this interview. We're all great interview. Start, which is with Greek yogurt. Now, I understand. Not only are you a CMO, but you are a Greek yogurt enthusiast, as I am too. But I want to no hear way. your perspective on Greek yogurt. Why? Why do you describe yourself as an enthusiast? So, uh, one. I was looking for something healthier, something with a lot of protein, something like to just, you know, be nutritional mm -hmm. and stumbled upon Greek yogurt many years ago. And then I'm on a quest for the best tasting Greek yogurt. And currently yes. I'm using, I'm eating one called Fage, which is F-A-G-E, really good, really yes. tasty, low sugar, really tasty. Is that your favorite too? Yes, it is. Nice. Okay. Yes. Uh, have you gone on a similar quest? I have, and I've tried a lot of different ones. My mom dropped off some a different brand the other day. Haven't tried it yet. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's high protein and it's pretty good. And uh, man, it's a great way to get the day started or we have a snack. For sure. Well, you did some digging, I think, on me to find that out. So appreciate the yeah. question. Well, let's just keep rolling with the random questions. <laughs> 80s one hit wonders. 
Right. So what is your favorite 80s one-hit wonder? So there's a lot of them, uh, but my top favorite is uh, A Million Miles Away by the Plimsolls in the, you know, kind of not, uh, uh, you know, nominated movie called Valley Girl, but the song really good, uh, A Million Miles Away by the Plimsolls, top of my list, 80s one hit wonder. A Million Miles Away. Okay, that one's not, I love music, that one's not. Like, I'm not remembering that song, but I'm going to make sure we include a link to it in case people want to check it out. <laughs> Excellent. Are you a big, are you into music a lot? Do you listen to it throughout the day? Is that part of your routine? Uh, not so much during the day. I'd say when I do listen to music during the day, if I'm focused doing something, it'll be like either rainy afternoon jazz music that I'll find nice. on yeah. YouTube or kind of the alpha brainwaves. I don't know if I buy it, but it says that it keeps you a lot more focused. So I listen to that during the day, but not 80s one hit wonders, unfortunately. <laughs> well, all right. So let's uh let's dig into your career a little bit. Early jobs. How has an early job that you've had infect uh, affected or infected? I guess I'll say affected or impacted your your leadership style. Uh so Truth be told, my first job was nine years old. I was a paper boy. I delivered papers. I actually had to collect the money too. So imagine going door to door, dropping off papers and collecting the money. So that's one. Uh, but I'd say the the earliest job that had the most impact on me was working with my dad. My dad um, is or was he actually passed away this year. So it was you know when we were talking about this interview, this was you know something top of mind. But I worked with him probably for, I don't know, from grade school all the way up into college. He um, founded and operated a taxi company and transportation company uh, in my town outside of Boston. So I grew up, you know, working side by side with him, you know, started sweeping the floors and then worked my way to the books and then answered phones and then cleaned taxis and then drove taxis. And so um, aside from realizing I didn't want a full-time career in taxi or anything related to taxi, um, I got to see my dad, you know, kind of interact with people and he was an entrepreneur. And um, so I think that kind of shaped my, certainly shaped my upbringing. And I, it's, and I think as I look back on my career, I think that was the roots of kind of why I've, mm. you know, gone into um, uh, more entrepreneurial approaches than say, you know, kind of uh, headline um, big company names. Yeah. Well, that's cool. It's uh, there's one thing for someone to tell you how to work and how to be in the world, but to see it role modeled can make such a huge impression on you. And it can oh, be for sure. a grounding force in your career. For sure. He worked super hard and he had this expression when we were driving. Um, taxi drivers at the time, there's no Uber or anything like that. You did a 12 hour shift, you know, you, so it was for me, it was six in the morning to six at night. And I was often like, dad, this is like, this is like terrible. It's 12 hour day. And his answer was, it's just a half day deal with it. You know, so it was very much like, you know, you, you didn't have an answer to that after that was given. Wow. It's a half day. You still have the other 12 hours to rest and, and to very pursue true. what you would like. Uh, 
I believe you also early on in your career worked in America Samoa. Is that right? I did. Um, I was a volunteer high school teacher in a Pango Pango American Samoa. After my first job out of college, I was a financial analyst at Merrill Lynch in their investment banking unit. So I was super busy, super entrenched in work for two years. And I had done a lot of volunteer work at Notre Dame. And those two years kind of I didn't offer me an opportunity to do that. So I knew I was going to graduate school at some point, and I thought this would be the perfect time to go do some service, go see another part of the world. And uh, I'm glad I did it because I think it, uh, it changed the way I think about leading, actually. It changed the way I think about serving. Um, and I think it gave me a good view of the South Pacific, which is a very different place than, say, where we live. Looking back at that time period, what advice would you give your younger self today or maybe something new that you you would have tried? I mean, I'd say, like, I'm glad I did it. Like, so I don't think I would change my approach there. If someone came to me with a similar thing and a similar question, I would say 100% do it because the links of responsibility that get laid on you after you graduate from school, have a job, have kids, own a house, all those things, you know, you don't have the chance to kind of go grow and go experience things that are very different. So a hundred percent, you know, for anybody that's considering doing that, go do it. You won't regret it. You will love it. Uh, and it'll take you to places that are super surprising and, you know, they'll, they'll be memories forever. It is so much easier to travel sometimes when you're younger, especially for longer periods of time. You don't have all the obligations. And it's such a huge learning opportunity. I mean, I think every trip I take, I come back a little bit changed. Uh, you know, having picked something up from that. For sure. And and again, I had I had to be a teacher. So I had to stand in front of a classroom of this was an all-boys school. So it was all Samoan boys, various, you know, kind of uh, English speaking capabilities, not a ton of resources. So we had to be scrappy and we had to connect yeah. and we had to, um, you know, drive our lessons home. Uh, but it required a lot of, um, yeah, I mean, thinking on your feet to to make stuff happen. What's the one trait you wish you could instill in every employee and why do you think it's so important? Mm-hmm. I'd say, um, I mean, and this is speaking, especially from an entrepreneur's perspective, I'd say bias for action. Mm. Um, You know, make your move when you can, especially in a like disruptive environment that we're in where we're battling. M1 is battling Fidelity, Vanguard, Chase, I mean, Goliaths in financial services. And one of our weapons is we can be asymmetrically fast if people act quickly and learn. And so moving fast, you know, having a lot of, of quote unquote at bats to learn about what your customers are going to like gives you the ability to kind of outflank, you know, brands that have been, you know, kind of instilled in people's brains for decades and processes that are in people's brains for decades um, and frankly, very few actions uh, can't be undone. So if there's a mistake, it can usually be fixed. Um, so I don't know. I'd say go. You, you've got an idea. 
Don't just talk about it. Go do it um, and act. Yeah, that's a great point. And especially that can be your competitive advantage when you're in, like you said, against such Goliaths in the finance industry. Now that but what strikes me on the finance industry and the banks is that they're just they're not typically known for innovation, right? Because they're it's based on security. Like we're not changing much. I mean, if they, like if they change their web interface even slightly, people start freaking out about their like where they have to type their password in next. You know, you guys are it's, sort of this insurgent organization. How are you thinking through that as a leader? Well, I, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It's it's um, when you look at uh, other consumer facing services and apps like Amazon, like. Facebook, like um, Snapchat, like anything, there's a, the UI and UX is world-class. And for most financial services companies, it's not. And so there is, you know, the founding of M1, actually our founder kind of, that was one of the things that, you know, was the touch point for him was these experiences stink. Why can't I have a similar experience when I'm mm. managing my money as what I get elsewhere? And yeah. so we still need to be very cognizant of your money safe. We still need to um, uh, engender trust for sure. But we think that combined with a great experience with automation, personalization, et cetera, is kind of what people are used to and what they frankly should get when they're managing their money too. Yeah. Where where do you see all this heading with machine learning, artificial intelligence? I mean, people are it, it's it seems like such a great opportunity, but when you think about the financial sector, you're probably, it's it's a little scary to think about it because it starts you know concern around security and whatnot. Uh, how are you yeah, I mean, I think in general, anything new comes with a level of scariness as it is, but I I think on the more optimistic side of things that um, most people aren't that like are scared of managing their money. Most people are not that sophisticated in how they manage their money. And therefore, oftentimes they spend a lot more than we think they need to in terms of advisors and, Mm -hmm. and, and um, support for them to do that. We believe that, you know, you, an individual is capable of managing his or her own money that we want to become the place where you can trust to put your money and that your money is going to flow to the right places mm-hmm. it should flow to based on where you want it to go. So like I look at, you know, early stage, it's not even AI, but early stage automation, you know, already exists. We're using it to say, when your money reaches a certain level in your safety account, where do you want to point that money from there? You can do that automatically. I think AI will get to the point where it says, I'm your AI advisor. What mm-hmm. are you trying to do? And how can the advisor and the person connect so that essentially what's happening today with human advisors gets done with AI? Um, so I, I'm super optimistic on it. I yeah. think, you know, there's plenty of places that have to be hammered through to make sure that, like, you know, the outcomes are right and that the machine is not doing something uh, wrong with your money. 
but I'm super optimistic with, with what's in front of us. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. So what, what are some things that you think might surprise some people to hear of trends that you've seen uh, or how people are using apps or how they're spending money or saving money or investing? What's um, What do you think would be a surprising element to that for a lot of people to understand? Um, I think the thing that surprises me the most is that, um, though, if you read any personal finance literature and anything that is trying to help people build wealth, most of the literature, or I mean, even Warren Buffett will say like, Keep in, you're young, keep investing, keep doing what you're doing. Don't care about what the market is. Make sure your stuff is, you know, framed out the way it should be framed out so that your risk tolerance, it feels good to you. Mm -hmm. I can tell you from just watching the market and kind of hearing from customers, people don't think about it that way. They aren't as um, able to keep their emotions out of their, even their long-term decisions. So mm. I don't, it's, it, it is surprising to me in the sense that that is what gets preached all day, every day. And, and even savvy people, I think, fall victim to it where they make a rash move because things aren't the way they should be or the way they want to be in the market and bad outcomes come from that. So I, I think, you know, one back to the AI point, I think one of the ways that AI and frankly, actually human advisors provide the best possible value is that they can act like a psychologist or a coach to you to make sure that, you know, you are not making decisions that ultimately will be bad for you. So mm. it's surprising to me that despite all the education, people are still swayed by their emotions a lot more than you think. And I think, you know, for the people who know themselves, who are built that way, there is a place for a machine or a uh, person to talk them down from the ledge so that they don't do things that are going to impact their, their long-term wealth building. Yeah, I've often wondered how many financial transactions are put in or made right after happy hour. So people are at, at happy hour. You should buy this. You should do this. Oh my gosh, the market's doing this. A few cocktails in. They go home and they're like, "Oh my gosh, I'm on my phone. I'm making this trade. I'm doing this. I don't know." Do you do you have any? Do you, is there is there any research uh, back to back that up? I well, <laughs> I I don't have any research to back it up, but I can <laughs> I can tell you from talking to customers that you know it's there are things that. As as a as a client, as a manager of your own money, yeah. if you know you're going to be that way, you need to block yourself from either acting like that very impulsively, or acting like it's a gambling, you know, machine. Again, mm -hmm. like the rise of all the gambling apps, I think for younger people in particular, I think the stock right. market and DraftKings and other kind of gambling apps, in many ways, kind of look and become and feel like the same thing and it becomes entertainment where 
you end up always losing money when you play those games the for a long time. Wins. The house always it, wins yeah. and you can enable the house in, in, you know, kind of stock market playing if mm -hmm. you're playing too much. Yeah, it's so great. And I love that perspective for leaders to be thinking about not just for their finances, but other parts of their life. You know, part really partnering with apps, partnering with machine tools to help us build constraints to keep our emotions from running away with really negatively affecting our actions. And for, someone, for sure, you know, someone, I don't know, if, I've read a bit of this, the training that, that we provide on helping leaders make great decisions, but I guess all decision-making takes place in the limbic part of the brain, which doesn't respond to rational thought or numbers. So that's when you think you're shopping for a car and you're maybe making that decision based on price. But ultimately, it's if you like the car. Does it make you feel good? And that's a dangerous place to be when you're taking a really long-term approach to, to the financial side. So Ben, there's a very, I'm a marketer and there's like oh, time tested, yeah. true statement in marketing that you make decisions with your heart and you justify them with your brain. And like, I think <laughs> the, the reality is like, if you're going to, I think, try to make good decisions, leadership decisions, market decisions, whatever it is, it's. You have to know that about yourself and you have to catch yourself in those moments when that path is the one you want to go down and you really shouldn't. And so what are the things that you as a person should be putting in place to prevent yourself from doing that? I mean, the famous one is sleep on it, right? Like don't make the decision, push it off, let, let your mind mm -hmm. ruminate on it. But there's tons of other things that I think you could do to make sure you're not like doing something that's going to have a bad impact, whether it's your finances, with your team, with your relationships, whatever it is. I think that there's like you've got to make sure that that isn't the the yeah the animal part of your brain isn't taking over. Yeah, and you don't part. know and you don't know about it. Is there a favorite decision you made where you're glad that you put a stopgap or slept on it that? That says saved you. Um, not. I mean, not exactly. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll point back to like my decision to go to Samoa was like again was something that was at the time I didn't realize how big of an impact it would have on me. Um, and I, I'll I'll give you a story that I think will help like frame this for you. Um, one of the classes that I was responsible for at in at, at the high school in Samoa was computers. I had to teach computers, and I was a financial analyst, so I was pretty familiar with all that. And uh, but the computers they had at the at the high school were terrible. They were again, you might recommend, you might see them, but I think your audience may not. Anyway, they're called Commodore sixty fours. Look them oh, up. Yeah. They're like yeah. front front running computers. They were terrible. Yes. Wouldn't teach kids anything, right? So I had at Merrill Lynch, I had, you know, worked a lot with spreadsheets and Lotus one, two, three was the spreadsheet mm -hmm. program that we used again, way yep. back when, before it was Excel. I know Lotus. Um, yep. Yeah. And so like, I told my friends at Merrill Lynch, I said, send me some old, you know, software programs that you're not using for Lotus. And, and so I was like, to the class, I was like, I'm going to teach you spreadsheets 
like and I made up a class, right? It was super basic, but it gave them something like a real life tool. Um, I just did it like it was because of what we had it was terrible. So literally 21 years later, I get a connection from one of my students on Facebook and he um, sends me a note. This was the first time I've heard from this kid in 21 years. He says, Mr. Bob, that's what they call the teacher, Mr. Whatever. I was Mr. Bob. Uh, Mr. Bob, like, here's what I've been up to. He said, I've never told you this before, but I, my first job out of college or out of out of um, school, I think he went to college, um, was at Sprint. And in the interview, they asked if I knew spreadsheeting. And um, I could say yes, because of the class that you did. And that has, like, you know, inspired my love of computers. And that's been my been my career the whole time. And so when I look back on that, like, I I wonder, like, was I doing it because like of a, of something that was going to set this kid's career on the path that it ended up becoming and unlocking what he ended up doing? Definitely not. You know, I did it wow. only because yeah. I was like, we need to do something different, better, more interesting. But then like when that, when something like that happens, you're like, okay, like, why shouldn't we as leaders be looking to do that all the time, like looking mm -hmm. at stepping into a situation that is, you know, suboptimal or not great. And like, can you make it that much better through not a ton of effort, right? Sure. I had to go get the stuff and I had to create quote unquote the class, um, but it didn't take that much. And to hear something like that, you're like, okay, that's a worthwhile outcome. So back to your question of like, what's the decision? Like, these decisions, I think, just happen every single day that you can step in and do something. And maybe, again, like 21 years later, something shows up. But probably there's plenty of stories that all of us don't hear about that are in, that you've had an impact yes. and yeah. do not a lot of work. So anyway, I, slight tangent that's, from the exact answer, but I think that's an important, no, that's a, like, is an thing, important thing to recognize. I'm glad we're on the interview today because I think a lot of leaders... It's also so easy to get dragged down in the mundane stuff of management. But to think about the leadership thing is, is that is, is the piece where you get to be creative, you get to inspire. And what a great example of something that you did once impacted somebody's life down the road 21 years later so much where they felt compelled to reach out to you. And we as leaders don't always know what the actions and decisions we're making, how they're going to impact ourselves. But man, they they can also positively impact others, and that's the whole idea yeah. in the first place, for sure. And I, I, as leaders of groups, you are surrounded by people that are looking to you to help them, motivate them, make them better. You know, and you have a chance every day to do it. Now, you've probably related that you are the oldest person in your company i am and what's that like uh i think it's pretty awesome in the sense that you know you can bring a lot of you know been there done that to um technical parts of the job to leadership parts of the job to management parts of the job and so um you know, so I, I feel like there's contributions that are made that are unique because of that. And I also think that like. And you're not. And just for the audience, 
Bob's not in his 80s or his 90s. <laughs> He's a pretty young guy. So yeah, really, young, the oldest sure. guy is. <laughs> well, there's uh, uh, a certain perspective here. But the other nice thing about being, you know, so you know, I'll just say I'm 58, right? And my my the founder CEO is. 33, I think. So there's 20, there's like a generation gap difference. Um, but the funny thing is like hanging around, you know, that, you know, that kind of like vintage of person, like you learn a lot more about like popular culture. And so anytime I'm hanging with friends of my age, I'm like the cool one because I, I know what's going on because wow, of them, what's I'm the around generation it. doing? Uh, you, it's the, uh, yeah, when you took exactly. the role, did like, you feel any intrepidation? You're like, okay, uh, I'm coming in here. This is going to be a bunch of, it sounds like a millennial generation, uh, maybe a little Gen X in there. I guess that was yeah. probably, probably millennials more. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I'm Gen X. So it's like, I'm yeah. the, I think I'm the last year of Gen X. So there's no more Gen Xs. Um, no, I, I think part of it is, any anybody that I talk to in a weird way, like I always think is the same age as me, no matter what. Like I don't, I don't like have the thing uh around like, oh, that person's younger. Sure, they are, but like anytime I'm interacting with them, especially at work, it's like everybody is good, you know, kind of like same age. And the other side was like, did I have trepidation? I mean, you know, joining a startup, you know, is 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 there's an element of like, are you making the right decision? Um but I believed in the mission. I believed in um, what the company was up to in mm -hmm. terms of like helping people, you know, improve their lives through wealth gathering the right way. And um, yeah, I was pretty excited by it. But despite the age difference, I it really didn't. That part really didn't hit my hit my radar so much. Oh, well, it was great. A real voice of uh, just treat people like people and go in for the excitement of the opportunity. And Sierra goes definitely that. Yeah. So starting to wrap this up, what are three success strategies that you believe every employee needs to keep in mind? Um, I, I mean, th they're super basic, Ben. I mean, one is like find the work that you love to do, you know, and and, and not not the work that you have to do because you want to get a promotion or you're going for something that's you know, outside of like why you're really doing what you're doing. So that's number one is like, and that was a lesson I learned, like my first job out of business school. I didn't, I joined something, didn't like it. Um, and then it ultimately pointed me to an entrepreneurial path, which was like where I love, what, what, I, what I love doing. So that's like the first thing. I mean, I'd say this, like a practical thing is, is like, in the role that you play, you have your responsibilities, right? You've got to do certain things, deliver certain things, whatever it is. Um, the uh, the reality is like you can do more by what I would call seeing the play uh, or seeing the field, not just your play. So in other words, like what is your boss concerned about? What is your CEO concerned about? And how do you connect what you're doing more succinctly to what they're interested in doing so that you can one be more effective in what you're actually spending your time on and two is you know you start to quote unquote do the job of your uh manager 
you know, and uh, so that's the second thing. You know, I'd say the third thing, and this is something from like working with my dad that was like, was, you know, kind of, I saw a lot, he said a lot, is like, say thank you a lot, you know, and Mm. recognize the people that are working with you to achieve whatever you're trying to achieve, you know, so I think that, I don't know, good karma, good, you know, good vibes that come from that make people a lot more likely to work with you and a lot more likely to kind of follow you if they feel like they know that you see what they do, appreciate what they do and advocate for what they do. Um, And now, so as I'm talking, I'll give you, I'll give you a bonus one too, um, because people ask me this all the time. The fourth one is like network. And when I say network, like, People think networking is putting yourself out there and trying to forward your own outcome. When I say network, it's like, go and meet a lot of people, go listen to them, go find out what they're trying to achieve and how you might be able to connect the dots for them so that Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like a grab for the person who's networking. It feels like a give for the person who's networking. So. I don't know. That's my my fourth one would be network, but think about it kind of in reverse, more in terms of what you're contributing as a networker than what you're trying to get as a networker. Yeah, so so many good ones in there. Several that resonate with me. This idea of seeing the the field, not just the next play. As employees, it's so easy to just get stuck on what you're doing, getting that tunnel vision. But the overall value that you provide to the organization has got to be far beyond that. And if you don't really network and have those other kinds of conversations inside of your company, it's going to be hard to really see the field. So I think those those two really go hand in hand. And when you have those conversations, uh, I think you're just so spot on. If everyone always feels like you're trying to take from them, and just get a bunch of information and go off, or it's always what they can do for you. Those you're just not really supercharging the possibility of those conversations. And just by putting in a few minutes of thought, you know, what's a new bit of information I can provide this person, or maybe what's a bit of appreciation I can do for them after this idea of like a handwritten thank you note to someone that's mentored you a little bit, or an introduction that you can make for them. But I, I like what, that appreciation mindset. I think can go a long way. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, it just kind of all fits. And frankly, like, who do you want to work with? You know, you you want to work with people who are genuine and likable and authentic and like, you know, just hearing what they're about and trying to, you know. I don't know, make it more fun at the very base level, but also just make it more productive because it is more fun uh, and you're making those people feel good along the way. So yeah, so it all kind of fits, but it's all super basic then. It's all stuff that like our parents probably, you know, instilled in us at one point. So I don't have any like, you know, tablets from the mount to give here, but so it's super basic. Your tablets that you bestowed today are quite good and be quite okay. helpful. Really <laughs> I'll take your mount, word for they're, it. They're from Mount Bob. Mm, okay. Yeah. 
And for uh, sure. some great yogurt recommendations on Phi A2 and 80s one hit wonder. So mix in a, a very broad and fun and very conversation. Bob, thanks for coming on the show today, my friend. Ben, thanks for having me. I uh, appreciate your time, your questions, your energy. Really great. Thanks again. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.